good day and welcome to the Cincy Slang and Bearcat Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined by Brett Stein. Hummer, out on vacation in Napa. Say hi. Hope, hope all is well, Hummer. But Brett, thank you for joining the Cincy Slang and Bearcat Sports Podcast today. It's a great day to be a Bearcats fan, and I hope Hummer uh, like will like joining the unemployment line since I'm taking a spot from here. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> easy, easy. We need we need Hummer around here for the wild takes and the uh, uh, the irrational enthusiasm. Maybe it's rational this time about Wes Miller uh, as it pertains to the future Hall of Fame candidacies. But Brett, I'm glad to have you on. It seems like we picked a perfect day to report record a podcast, given that there's some new. Uh, recruiting news as it pertains to the Cincinnati Bearcats basketball team. So let's jump into that. Let's talk to uh, first. We'll talk about the player who committed on Thursday, depending on when you're listening to this podcast, but Hayden Koval, a center from UNC Greensboro. He has decided to follow his coach to Cincinnati and will be joining the Cincinnati Bearcats basketball program. What can you tell us about Hayden Koval? You know, very unique traits, and he has some very intriguing advanced defensive metrics in terms of block rate. I believe he has over 300 blocks in his career. He's already played four college seasons. He's a career 34% three-point shooter and 74% from the free-throw line. So he's pretty mobile. He's not uh, as as bulky as you might think for a seven-footer who's been in college for four years. He played just under 20 minutes a game for UNCG this past season. He's going to be he's going to come for grad school. He already has a degree, I believe, in accounting. I spoke to him a few hours ago. You know, super nice kid looking forward to playing for a bigger program. You know, if you look at some of his highlight clips, you know, they have games against Louisville. When he when he was at Central Arkansas, he played against Baylor. So he's played against some good competition. He's put up some decent numbers. Not going to be a guy you're going to throw the ball into in the post all that often. But, you know, you can throw lobs to him, dump offs. He can stretch the floor with him in the half court. He won't clog the lane like you saw the last couple of seasons for Cincinnati's offense, and he's really good on the weak side. He goes up with his hands straight up. He has excellent timing and instincts on the defensive end, and I think he could be very helpful if they press and use some zone to be a guy to, to protect the rim on the defensive end. Yeah, I think the it seems like the popular cr- critique of uh, Mr. Hayden, am I saying it right, Koval or Koval? Koval, I, I believe Koval, Koval yeah. Koval, okay, so... Uh, it seems like the popular critique uh, or the way to criticize him was to compare him to another tall 7-1 uh, white center that recently played at Cincinnati. And I think if you do that, you are complete, completely missing the mark with the fact that from a skill set perspective, these are very different players. That's not to say that Koval is coming in to be some sort of like go-to offensive you know, stalwart for the Bearcats. But in terms of what he does, I mean, this is not someone you have to run the offense through for him to be effective or have a positive impact on your offense. I think if you just consider these two skills, the ability to stretch it to three and then defensively being able to protect the rim and and block shots, which he did at UNCG at a, you know, top five level last season, at least in terms of rate. I mean, that's, that's something you want on your roster. There's a place for that. And it really comes down to how much do we have to lean on him next season? Is he a guy we're leaning on? 15 minutes a game or is he someone we're trying to lean on for 30 minutes a game because frankly that's what I think did in someone like Chris Vogt where if you ask too much of a player like that it can leave them a bit exposed 
Definitely. And I, I think he's more of a 15 to 20 minutes a night guy. And with a player with his skill set, kind of limiting his minutes would work out better because it, if, especially for bigger guys that are seven feet tall running up and down the floor, it's very rare that you see those guys play 30 minutes a game. So I think 15 to 20 minutes would be the sweet spot for his effectiveness. You know, maybe a few minutes less, a few minutes more, depending on matchups too. In the American Conference, how many teams even have seven-footers or, or true centers on their roster? I think USF had a couple, and then their main guy transferred. You know, you look at Temple and Memphis and Houston and UCF. Do any of those teams have seven-footers or, or true centers? They don't really have that. So I think if you deploy them in the right matchups and Wes Miller having had him for a year at UNCG, he has a pretty good idea of what he can do. And I think at this point, looking at the roster, you need size, you need depth, you need experience. And remember, when Chris Vogt came to Cincinnati two years ago, people thought he would sit out that first year and have five years there with, with a redshirt year in between because he didn't play many minutes at all his first two years. Cobalt's played a ton. He's already played four years of college basketball. So I think the experience part is something people are overlooking when they make a quick comparison just based on their size and just, you know, they want to compare those two. <laughs> No, I, I think it's, 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 it's not the right comparison. Um, I would say, if, I think ideally he comes in and he's, he comes in and he's a backup center for the Bearcats, but that really depends on what we, what we see happen from a roster construction standpoint, as they fill out the team from the transfer portal and from incoming freshmen, potentially we're looking for size. But one thing that I don't think you can necessarily depend on Koval for is being a you know, a, a stalwart defensively on the boards. That's something that we've lost a huge piece in when Tari Eason decided to take his talents to Baton Rouge. The Bearcats really don't have someone on their roster at this point that's a proven defensive rebounder. In fact, the, the best defensive rebounder that would potentially come back, and he hasn't committed at this point, would be probably David DeJulius, a point guard. So I think there's a lot of work to be done in terms of rebounding for the Bearcats. Definitely. And I think right now I'm, oper I'm operating under the assumption they have anywhere from four to five, maybe even six scholarships left as David DeJulius and, and Victor Locken, as of this recording, have not officially said they'll be back. So, yes, getting there's a, there's a lot of mid-major kind of Houston style forwards in the portal. Six, seven to six, nine guys that are, you know, bulky with college experience that can rebound. And I, I think last year for UNCG, West Miller paired Koval with uh, a better rebounder. You know, they kind of split the tie about 2020. So, yes, defensive rebounding, rebounding in general based on the current roster makeup is, is something I think they definitely need to add. Um, and there's still plenty of those players in the portal as the coaching staff gets kind of rounded out. I think you'll see with a couple, you know, with a couple of players having already committed from the transfer portal, you'll start to see maybe uh, as they run, you know, run lower on scholarship spots, try and aim for some higher level rebounders and those kinds of players. Yes. Are there any names you'd be willing to throw out as, uh, as people we should maybe keep our eye on that the, the staff might be, and by staff, I mean, Wes Miller at this point, but I'm sure there's some other guys behind the scenes, but who are there any guys out there they're targeting for that for, to help on the rebounding side? You know, there's a guy that went to the portal in the last day or two from Western Michigan, whose name escapes me. Um, I know they're kind of looking at film and breaking down who might be a fit. Uh, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, 
but there was, you know, uh, from that school last year, there was a guy that since then really wanted who ended up in Minnesota, who was a pretty good player for them, Brandon Johnson. So, you know, some of those, there's some guys at like the Mac level and pretty close that might be able to come in and fill rebounding voids. Trey Mitchell from UMass is still in the transfer portal. You know, he'd be a tremendous player um, for the, for Cincinnati and, and this conference. And then there's a junior college player, Langston Wilson, who signed with Alabama. He's one of the top two junior college players in the country is a kind of face-up four-man, um, and he's now back on the market. I think they're going to at least uh, try or inquire and see what they get. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it seems pretty obvious at this point the type of uh, fill-ins they really need. I mean, from a backcourt perspective, if we're thinking about who we know is going to be on the roster next season and, and you know, fill in the gaps if I blank out on anybody, but we've got Mike Saunders back. We've got Micah Adams-Woods. Jeremiah Davenport. We've got um, John Newman, who we're going to be talking about, who's committed from Clemson. We've got now Hayden Koval. Who am I missing for that's returning player? Rob Banks is going to be on the roster. Mason Madsen. And Mason Madsen. So a lot of a lot of interesting pieces on the perimeter in particular. And it's a team that probably is going to want to get up and down a little bit, given – Wes Miller's uh, style of play and that he wants to be, you know, press a little bit, get up and down the floor when the opportunity is there, but there's just not a lot of girth in the paint. As they say, there's just not a lot of guys down there who are going to take up the, take care of cleaning up the glass, which is exactly what Tari did very, very well at an elite level last season. Yeah. I mean, you look at, there's a lot of interchangeable pieces there. A lot of guards that can play different spots. Um, Obviously, I think Mike Saunders really came on at the end of last year. He started to figure out when to use his speed, how to pressure the opposing team's point guard at, at half court. You know, Mason Madsen started to find his his shot and his role on the team on both ends. You know, Davenport made a tremendous leap from his freshman to sophomore year. And Mike Adams-Woods is a player that you can slide around. He can play on the ball. He can play off the ball. He's not really a volume shooter or scorer, but he showed the ability to you know, he had multiple games with more than more than two three-pointers. And he's extra good from the free throw line, which is very important late in games. And the team last year won a, a ton of close games after they came back from their COVID break. So, yes, you need some size in the front court, and you need some experience there. Just bringing in any kind of high school freshman now will be tough, but – the transfer portal allows you to look at players that have game film at the college level, even if it's at a lower level. So I think there with Miller having only been on the job for just over a week, you need to break down some of the film, see who might be a fit, see who's interested and then kind of go from there. So let's talk about the, the player who committed to the Bearcats earlier this week. He was the first player to commit to Wes Miller um, who wasn't previously on the Bearcats roster. Now we me Hummer and I, have said that uh, Mason Madsen and Mike Saunders Jr. are the first official recruits of Wes Miller's class, given the fact that they were goners had he not been here. So um, let's talk about John Newman III. Coming from Clemson, a wing, I would say, like many other players across the country, he had a, uh, you know, just a frustrating and maybe, you know, if you want to classify it as a disappointing season, that's fine. But the year before that, I mean, some dynamite athleticism displayed in, in games against very high competition. Yeah, he's coming from an ACC program in Clemson. Um, he had some injury issues last year. And I think for players that had any kind of injuries or setbacks, 
last year was a difficult time to kind of get through because you're not getting your normal conditioning and practice and everything was fractured and disjointed. And it was really difficult for some players to get into any kind of groove. And I think having spoken to him the other night, he's in a better headspace now. He's 15 credits short of, of graduating from Clemson with a degree. So for Newman, he really wants a fresh start. He's an athletic lefty who can really attack the rim. Tremendous defensive player. I think when you look at some of the struggles from the team this past season, perimeter defense was an issue in certain spots. And I think he'll be a big benefit there. He's known Wes Miller a long time. He played with Wes Miller's younger brother, uh, AAU, starting in seventh grade. So he's known, you know, Coach Miller for six, seven years. So that relationship, you know, was, was there beforehand. And I think that comfort level, you know, Miller knows exactly what kind of player he is. And I think he'll, he'll kind of slide into that spot that Keith Williams occupied as, as the, uh, you know, a player on the wing that's going to attack and can get to the rim, get to the free throw line and, and really be a defensive presence and, and, and be a two-way player. Pretty good decision maker too. You know, it's minimal highlights have been able to watch, but I mean, he does appear to have the ability to run a pick and roll and find the role man pretty well. Uh, given that he's not, you know, a primary ball handler. I look at his defensive box plus minus every season at Clemson. It's at 2.8. He's a big positive defensively. So it's not anecdotal. He's clearly got the athleticism. It looks like, you know, he's, he's rangy, he's lengthy, he can disrupt passing lanes, but it's also reflected in the numbers. He's been a huge plus defensively for any roster he plays on. Definitely. And I think, when you look at who's not on this year, you know, not going to be on the team next year from this past season, you know, you have to replace the production of Keith Williams and Tari Eason and players like that. And, and Newman's not the kind of player that's going to be ball dominant. He's not going to, you know, take the ball and you know, he's not going to shoot it 15 times a game. Most likely he's going to get out and transition. He's going to attack downhill when they reverse the ball, use ball screens, pick and roll, stuff like that. He's not a, you know, a great outside shooter in terms of percentages, but he doesn't take a ton of outside shots either. So he's a player that seems to know his strengths. And again, this is a player that's been in college. This will be his fourth year. So him and Koval are two very experienced players. And I don't think you can overlook that when you're looking to have players like Davenport and Adams Woods or juniors, Saunders and Madsen will be sophomores. You're adding not just experience, but guys that have been successful and they bring particular things to the table with Koval it's shot blocking floor spacing and he's a good shooter in general and with Newman he can get to the rim and really get in your get in your shorts so to speak on the defensive end so we're coming off a, a run here as Bearcat fans where every season we seem to have a guy who's got a usage rate around 30 percent or so Jaron Cumberland was obviously the guy for multiple years probably you know more so his junior and senior year uh, but, it, you know, he also got a lot of looks as a sophomore as well. Keith Williams last year, maybe to to his detriment at times, was also quite a high usage player. The roster for next season, there is no clear front runner to be like a a a, a go to. I'm going to the whole offense is going to run through me guy that doesn't exist for the Bearcats. So that's going to be a very new dynamic. And it'll be interesting to see who is who kind of takes the reins in that regard. Jeremiah Davenport might be everyone's favorite candidate, but his game is naturally a bit lower usage because he's not a huge ball handler. You know, he kind of, he, he finds his spots on the perimeter. He showed some flashes last year, being able to score off the dribble a bit. How do you see that playing out in terms of having a roster full of guys who historically have been a role player and maybe needing to find someone who can be a, a bit more assertive on that end? That's going to be the challenge because as you continue to add pieces for next season, 
if they're able to add a, you know, one or two impact players from the portal or, or elsewhere, then once practice starts and summer conditioning and all that, if you have a more normal off season, that's where like, I don't know if you could take like a foreign trip or have, you know, exhibition games, that's where you need to kind of get that experience because yes, that player right now might not be on the roster or if that person is, you know, it's, it's not going to be someone who's maybe extremely obvious, you know, is someone else going to take a, a step up who's, who's going to be on the team next year. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know if you're going to have that player. And while it was nice, you know, in the last 10 years, you have guys like Troy Copain and, and Jacob Evans and Gary Clark, Jaron Cumberland, Keith Williams, you kind of knew who was going to ascend to that, you know, high usage spot or be the guy to take, you know, take the shot when the game was tied or you're down a point. So that's going to be something Coach Miller's going to have to figure out. And as you continue to assemble the roster and assemble your staff, you know, see see if you can convince one of these players that is coming from a high major school and has a lot of interest to be like, look, you know, we've got uh, we've got a spot, we've got some nice pieces on our team, but we need an alpha on our team. We think it's you. That's a pretty good thing to try and sell, I think, because Houston just made the Final Four. Memphis is bringing in some really good players. The Americans should be a very good league at the top next season. Absolutely. Um, I think for, for as frustrating as Keith Williams senior year may have been for some people, I think when you lose a guy like that, who could just kind of bail you out in possessions and at least get to the rim, draw some fouls, create decent looks for himself. I mean, losing that is a big, is a big loss, even if they're not the most efficient player in the world. Um, I'd be remiss not to ask you about this guy. I'm curious about him because I saw there was two players today who entered the transfer portal from UNCG, and it's notable because obviously they're they're leaving a program that was coached by Wes Miller, and already we've seen Hayden Koval commit to the Bearcats. I'm not sure we know exactly what's going to happen with Jarrett Hensley, but I still want to ask about him. Jarrett Hensley, a former four-star recruit, the only four-star recruit in UNC Greensboro history, um, has entered the transfer portal. I don't know if you know much about him at this point, if you've had a chance to look at his game because he did play for UNCG. Um, you know anything about him? What, 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 what could you tell me about his game? He, as a freshman this past season, like a lot of freshmen, he kind of struggled. You know, when you think about the adjustment period from high school to college and, you know, lack of practice, lack of conditioning, other things like that. He's, he's, a, he's kind of a 3-4, a hybrid forward Lefty can really shoot. He was the highest ranked recruit they'd ever had. I think they'll take, you know, they'll probably take a look at him because you can't just fill your roster with guys with one year left to play. You know, Koval is a grad transfer. Um, and I think Newman, I'm not sure if he would have one or two years or if he would just stay for one year. So you, you look at a player like that who has the recruiting chops and has the, the profile and would offer some size with some shooting. So you don't want to add players that are all just maybe one year left. You might want to look at a guy that has multiple years and could be, you know, a piece to build around or, or a nice player to have on your roster the next three to four years. So I think they'll take a look at him. I'm not sure who the other player, I think the other player who went into the portal, um, I think he might've played the same prep school as, as Mike Adams Woods, I think the New Hampton school. And I think Wes Miller actually uh, prepped there for a year when he was in high school. I'm not sure if they're gonna look at him. I think he's a overseas player. So I'm not sure if he'd be a realistic try. I don't know as much about him. I know a little bit more about Hensley because he was a top 150 recruit, uh, you know, this past year's recruiting class. So I think they'll take a look at him and also you have to figure out how many spots do you have? You know, do you have four spots? Do you have six spots? 
you kind of want to be, you want to, you know, you need to fill spots, but you want to be selective at the same time because you don't want to be in a position where you're full and then a really good player comes on the market that you might have a chance to get and you don't have a spot for him. I'm pretty, I'm pretty intrigued by Hensley, despite, you know, a pretty unimpressive freshman year. I think as we saw ourselves as Bearcat fans last season, you know, Gabe Madsen never really found his footing. Um, it takes guys some time. You know, Mike Saunders Jr., it took him about two-thirds of the season before he really seemed to get comfortable and and found his game and comfort level out there. So if you've got a four-star pedigree, good size, you know, 6'8", can shoot it from the outside, I'd be pretty excited about uh, taking a flyer on a guy like that and assuming that he could de- develop under the coach that originally recruited him. So if the Bearcats and West Miller are going down that path, I am not opposed to it. Uh, even though people probably on on its face would probably be nervous about, you know, turning the Bearcats into UNC Greensboro, I, that that university and the fact that it doesn't have the brand recognition we're used to doesn't mean there's not a couple talented players on the team. So I'm open to it. Yeah, I mean, it's something where when guys go into the portal and there's a coaching change, it's natural to look at whether they're going to follow them. And with the NCAA having granted immediate eligibility, anyone that goes into the portal. These aren't guys that are going to have to sit out a year and then kind of you have to mix and match the roster a little bit. You know, everyone that transfers to any school is going to be eligible. So that's something to look at. And any player that, that has size and can shoot, which we know Koval can, you know, you can't really ignore that because in today's game, and, and I think the way Miller wants to play, and it's, it's about spacing. It's about having everyone on the floor be a threat. And, you know, people that are, are you know, can play multiple positions be versatile and can shoot. You got to take a close look at players like that. So I'm going to take us back a couple days here, Brett. And uh, a couple days ago, it looks like that would have been April 20th. I see a tweet from you that says I'm six followers shy of 1000. Get me there and I'll have very good stuff. Indeed. I'm looking today, Brett, you're at 1062 followers. The people treated you well. And so I'm going to put a little bit of pressure on you now and ask you to answer some tough questions and make some tough predictions. First ones. I've already alluded to it. David DeJulius is not committed one way or the other, whether he's coming back. If you were going to make a prediction on that, or if you had, maybe you have information, maybe you don't, but do you think David DeJulius will be a part of the Cincinnati Bearcats next season? I appreciate the first question not being a softball uh, thrown up at me. Um, I've, I've heard, I've talked to a few people that know David pretty well, and I've heard different different things. So I've heard that he's had really good conversations with, with Coach Miller, and he likes what he's heard, and he's likely going to come back to he's not he's not going to come back. I, I can't really say. I haven't spoken to, to David personally. I don't want to speculate because he's in a very tough spot. This is his fourth year in college, and this would be the fourth different coach he would have played for. He was recruited by John Beeline, played under him for a year, stayed at Michigan a second year under Jawan Howard, transferred, played this past season under Coach Brandon, and now Wes Miller's in town. So if he wants a fresh start somewhere else, I could see that. You know, with the, with the guards coming back, um, you know, he played a ton of minutes this past season when he was playing. So I could see him playing maybe less minutes and wanted to find an opportunity elsewhere. Or by the same token, you know, he's comfortable here. And as long as he hears what he needs to hear, he's going to stick around. So, I mean, 
I think either way, if he stays, that will be fine because you can never have too many quality ball handlers and guys with experience. And I think if he plays a little bit more off the ball and maybe has his minutes cut a little bit, he'll be a little more effective. I felt like last year at times he tried to carry it a bit too much when he felt the team needed him to. And sometimes he was up to the task, sometimes he wasn't. But, you know, he was a kid that was very upset when they lost the Crosstown shootout. So, you know, he really wants to win here, wants to succeed. And he, he's, he's been a good player at the Big Ten level. And I think if he stays, I think he'll, he'll have a strong senior year and, and can contribute a lot to next year's team. Is Wes Miller, I mean, we, there was a lot made about Wes Miller really working hard right off the bat to meet with Mike Saunders Jr., meet with Mason Madsen, flew out to Seattle to meet up with Tari Eason and his family. Um, is he doing the same with David DeJulius? Like, is there uh, an, a, a real effort on his side, I suppose, to to try and quickly build that relationship, that trust, so that he is a part of the team next year? As I understand that he's had talks with David. He's had talks with Victor Lockin. Um, they haven't decided one way or the other. I believe Lockin's back in Russia right now um, for a planned trip that he had to return. Because remember when he came over, uh, I think it was last July or August, you know, he hasn't been back home in quite a long time and he didn't suit up at all this season. He had knee surgery, he was rehabbing. So it's been a, you know, it was a tough year for him in a new country, new language, a lot of change. And with David, you know, he was a guy that, you know, he took a break there towards the end of the season and came back for the conference tournament. So as far as I know, I think anyone that's been around, you know, I think he's had talks with those two players and they're just taking their time and making a decision. You know, with Mason and Mikey, it was a little bit different because they were in the transfer portal and they had options to go to other schools, whereas David and, and uh, Lockin were still you know, on the team. So I think there was a difference there in terms of timing that, you know, there was a short window to try and bring the freshman in the portal back into the fold versus players that are, as of now, not in the portal and still on the roster. Gotcha. So, I mean, it seems like Victor Locke and David DeJulius, we're going to put them basically in the same category where it's too early right now to just assume they're on the roster next season. They, they're they making their minds up. I guess it's probably more fair to say we expect them because they're, part, they're, they're currently at the University of Cincinnati and enrolled here and not in a transfer portal. But at the same time, they are two players who are clearly going to have to do some assessing as to is this right for us? Is it the right fit? And they're going to take their time in doing so. Any timeline expectations there? Not, I don't think so. I mean, I, I believe the semesters, the semester at a lot of schools is, is winding up in the next couple of weeks with graduations for the end of April. I'm not sure when Cincinnati's school year officially ends. So I think the end of the school year maybe plays a part in it for some of these kids. And I mean, I'm, I'm going to the, right now, I would just say that I'd assume both players will be on the roster next season. And, you know, Lockin's a very interesting player in that he has a lot of international experience. He's 6'10", 6'11", very fundamentally sound, can really shoot, can really pass for a big man too. Um, you know, he isn't the physical presence you might want down low in kind of the way the league plays. But again, if you're going to keep someone and think he's a fit, even though he hasn't played a minute of college basketball, gamble on size. And David's a proven player at this level who can play on the ball and off the ball and, and has leadership qualities. So I'm going to proceed under the mindset that they're both on the roster next season until I hear otherwise. One of the biggest names to hit the transfer portal in the last couple of weeks was CJ Frederick and famed local newsbreaker. I have no idea if you have an opinion on this guy. I don't know if you know who this guy is, but Corey Vocarl uh, basically insinuated that uh, CJ Frederick to Kentucky was a, a sure thing. 
And I think there's been much made about Calipari and the Kentucky staff potentially tampering with him in Iowa. Uh, I think there was an uncle defending CJ Frederick in the media. It's, it's a, it's a whole deal, but recently there's been some coaching turnover at UK. And that makes me wonder, is there a possibility that CJ Frederick is someone who might say, Hey, Tari Eason is no longer occupying that four spot at UC. There's some minutes to go around. Um, he's from the area, right? Do I have that right? He's from yes, he went, he, went, he, went, he went to Covington Catholic, which is the same high school as uh, former Bearcat walk-on and local legend Zach Tobler graduated from. And Zach coached them a little bit too. So he knows, uh, Zach knows the, the, the Frederick family very well. There we go. Is there anything there? Like could CJ Frederick now with the UK coaching staff having some turnover, is there a chance that maybe he's going to get eyes for Cincinnati? Of course it's possible. Now, just to correct what you're, what you said, I had heard weeks ago and uh, our good friend, Chad Brendel of Bearcat journal and some other news outlets had hinted that Frederick would go into the transfer portal. So he didn't break that news. I had heard that like three weeks ago <laughs> and I, and I heard, and I, and I heard he was a lock for Kentucky. I'm oh, not, you're talking I'm, about my reference to Corey yeah, Vocaro. Yes. Okay. I'm, I'm right. not t- the, the, the statement you made about tampering. I'm not touching tampering, whatever. Um, I'm no, but, but I'm yeah. the, and you're right. I'm not actually referring to anything about you there. I'm simply talking about, I'm reading, I'm kind of headline reading, but CJ Frederick's uncle says Iowa is beating being quote childish about transfer decision. No school ever tampered. I, you know, it's just hilarious. The drama. I just, I can't get enough of it. Yeah. It but apologies. Apologies. Bra- Bearcat journal apparently had the CJ Frederick news leaking uh, earlier than Corey Volcaro. I, I believe it might've been brought up on the, the, the skinny podcast that Chad and Rick Browering from Musketeer report do with um, Richard Skinner of, of uh, local 12 news. But well, I think he's um, hilarious for, for the record. I, I think Corey Volcaro is hilarious because he's begging people on Twitter to give him credit, even though he has, I mean, for the biggest announcements in, in the city, he's, he's, he's been quiet. So uh, yeah, he's been fishing for stuff and he'll delete stuff later on. But I mean, from everything I understand with Frederick, Source so subject. There's a, so there's a scenario where, so Joel Justice, who was a Kentucky assistant, he left for a spot at Arizona State. And then their other assistant, Tony Barbie, he used to coach at Auburn. He's going to get, he got the head coaching job today at Central Michigan. So now they have two assistant spots that are open. So Orlando Antigua is at Illinois, was previously at Kentucky. Kentucky supposedly making him a big offer to try and come back because he was an assistant there. He can really get players. Um, Illinois is doing everything they can to keep him. So Illinois freshman Adam Miller, who's a top 40 national recruit in the 2020 class, he's in the transfer portal. So there's a scenario where if Antigua goes to Kentucky and Adam Miller goes there, they may not have room at Kentucky for C.J. Frederick, in which case he's from Cincinnati. Cincinnati's got open roster spots. Cincinnati's got shots available, doesn't have an alpha. Frederick is, I believe, a just finished his red shirt sophomore year. So he had at least two more years of eligibility, but he's been in college for three years. He shot 47% from three last year. Mm. Very, very selective shooter. Talk dirty to me. So, I mean, it's uh who wouldn't take, I mean, there's a reason why Kentucky and Kansas and UCLA and a bunch of other really good schools are sniffing around and Cincinnati and Xavier for this player. And, and they played them twice. They played them, uh, two years ago at the United center. And then they played in the previous year in the NCAA tournament. Uh, and, and they lost that game when, when came broom, Justin, Jennifer were, were seniors on that team. So they're very familiar with CJ Frederick and he's pretty local. So you can't turn to anyone that's been productive at the big 10 level and can shoot 
almost 50% from three point range and his money from the free throw line. And is a pretty good, you know, uh, off the ball. He, he can, he, he, he moves really well off the ball to get open shots without being a high volume shooter. That's is he a like, lefty? Is he a lefty? No, no. Okay. Cause I was, I love, I'm a lefty myself. Love having lefties on the team. We've now got Micah Adams woods. Uh, we've got John Newman. And then we also, um, you know, I, I don't know if I'm connect if I'm prematurely connecting dots, my apologies, but I also noticed when I watched this tape that uh Jarrett Hensley is also a lefty. So a lot of lefty talk, but apparently CJ Frederick, I had that memory wrong. He's not. Um, we were we started talking about assistant coaches and and turnover happening at UK and that potentially impacting Illinois, which then could impact other teams. What's going on with Wes Miller and his staff? What can you tell us there? We just got the announcement. Um that Chris Lepore would be joining the, the staff in some capacity at UC. Um, I think it's been widely rumored that it's going to be some sort of like director of basketball operations, more of an, an administrative role. Any developments on the, on the staffing front for the Bearcats? Lepore, I, I think went official today that he's going to be, he's going to have the top administrative spot. So whether that's DBO or, or some other title, he's going to be, he was a bench assistant at, at UNCG. He'll be the top administrative uh, at UC, which so the familiarity he's been, you know, he's been with West for seven or eight years, knows him very well, knows, knows the Carolinas. He can, he'll, he'll be a big help with the transition and, and handle the day-to-day -day operations and, and organizing practices and, and uh, schedules, travel, all that stuff. So yes, he's in that spot. And then there's two other people that are pretty close, but haven't been officially announced yet that are, are pretty much locks to be assistant coaches for the first uh, year under West Miller. So we'll leave it as a mystery to people. But what I'm, what I'm going to do is throw out some names that I think have been widely rumored and you could just blink twice if they're going to be on the staff. Mike Roberts. Well, I mean, this is an audio podcast, so blinking twice only, only tells so you. So answer how you want. You could blink yeah. or you could say yes. It's up to you. I mean, it's been, it's, it's been out there. I, I feel pretty good saying that he's likely to be on staff. He was associate head coach under Wes Miller for a handful of years, played in Indiana, was a grad assistant at Texas Tech under Bobby Knight. He's coached as an assistant at Cal, Rice, Indiana. So, yeah, he, 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 he'd be someone that would make a lot of sense because Wes Miller's from North Carolina. You need someone with Midwest ties, and that would be Mike Roberts. Am I wrong in thinking that Wes Miller is – I don't know. It just seems like he's not necessarily automatically banking on bringing in the guys that he worked with at UNCG or at other schools. Like it's, there's some fishing going on by Wes Miller to potentially bring in bigger names, you know, from others from that are currently on staffs at other schools that might be beneficial in terms of strategic recruiting relationships or, you know, bringing more cachet to the team. Is that, is that wrong of me to, to think that maybe Wes Miller is trying to build out a little bit more of a, a notable staff than we had previously under John Brannon. Yeah. You're, you're going to see probably assistant coaches that have experience at, at multiple schools and, you know, that have been assistants have been strong recruiters have been recognized as, you know, top coaches under the age of, you know, 40, whatever it is. And I think what you'll definitely see is when you look at where the talent comes from and where Cincinnati's had some success, they've had good players come out of North Carolina. Gary Clark, Eric Hicks, Virginia, Troy Copain, Justin Jenner for, for Maryland. You look at Georgia, you know, Trey Scott, D'Antonio Wingfield, 
a few other players. Vincent Banks was a legendary player who never actually suited up for Cincinnati, but during the year he sat out. A what if. Yeah, yeah. tremendous what if. Um, and then look at Florida, you know, Justin Jackson. So I think the Southeast has seen an explosion of basketball talent and North Carolina especially has a tremendous amount of talent. So I, I think with the staff, he's looking for a mix of, of younger types and then having a more experienced person as his associate head coach or, or top assistant on the staff. So is it a matter of maybe going to a bigger school, a more well-funded school and looking for those bigger name or just, you know, those assistant coaches who have some cachet in, in the recruiting space, but maybe could use and could be incentivized to take a job at, at a place like Cincinnati through a promotion in terms of being an associate head coach or a higher level assistant. Is that some, is that a way to try and lure those kind of assistants other than I think, financially? I think it can be because Cincinnati is, you know, he's one of the, is one of the winningest college basketball programs uh, in the history of college basketball. You know, they've got a, a brand, you know, pretty much a brand new arena, they, all their games are on ESPN. So I think for some assistants at a certain level, that's that's a big step up. And also it's a different area for some of these coaches. And if you want to increase your, your your spot on the totem pole as an assistant and potentially be a head coach down the road, that would make a lot of sense. And then, you know, you look at some of the player or some of the coaches that have been under Wes Miller, you know, they've gone out, they've left and come back, you know, maybe they'll be brought back. They've been at other schools. And I, I just think Wes Miller, the way he's talked about his relationship with Roy Williams, who convinced him to be a walk-on there and lead his scholarship with James Madison because he wanted to be a coach one day. You know, he took a leap of faith there. And you know how Carolina treats their their, their coaching tree as legendary. They named Hubert Davis, who was a tremendous player there, played in the NBA, came back, been an assistant for the last eight, nine years. Now he's the head coach. And his whole staff is former Carolina players. So I, I think that makes a lot of sense for Wes. And I know he's talked to some notable former Bearcats as well for possible spots on the staff, you know, names like James White, Nick Van Exel and DeMar Johnson have come up. I'm not sure if any of them would make sense as a bench assistant, but a, you know, high level administrative role. And then if a the coach spot opens up, you know, down the line, they could, they could be assistant coaches. So I could see that being an option too. you know, recruiting coordinator and, and video coordinator and player engagement or player development. You know, some of those roles I, I could see going to some former players and it seems like Miller's hit the ground running engage former players and, and tried to, you know, smooth over the alumni a little bit because everyone was very certain at different points in the process when the coaching search was going on that Eric Martin was going to get the spot. And then he'd bring Nick Van Axel and had this huge reunion of, of former Cincinnati players being on the staff, big, which, you know, yeah. a big group hug and, and kind of a makeup from, uh, from Bob Huggins era players and the administration. And that just didn't come to fruition. I think Wes Miller has done a great job, by the way, in terms of reaching out to former players. And I think that from the conversations I've had with some folks, um, they, they're behind him. They're, they're ready to support him. They're, there's a good level of belief in his ability to get the job done. I do still think there's a lot of angst uh, behind the scenes between the former players and, and the administration. So the athletic department and some of the players in those roles uh, that I'm trying to do some more digging on to get a better understanding of what exactly is going on there. Because it's just all is not well on that front. And that's, that's with 100% absolute certainty. Um, one name I, I had kind of floating around was Joel Justice as a potential guy that Wes Miller was talking to. He ended up taking a position. He was, he was an assistant coach at UK, took the position at Arizona State. Um, 
any truth was it, was there any truth to that was was Wes Miller potentially reaching out to someone like that I can't confirm whether or not that happened Joel Justice played at UNC Wilmington and I think he and Wes are pretty close in age and I know he coached high school basketball as well uh Joel Justice so they probably know each other from 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 that and then when he went to Kentucky he he was very big on advanced metrics and statistics and things like that and, and kind of transforming how Kentucky would utilize certain players in situations based on that advanced stuff, which Alabama uses a lot. And then their coach Nate Oates and uh, some other teams do. So it, I, I think he, he only left like a day ago. So I don't think he was available for all that long a period of time. And certainly he's going to take a pretty, pretty good job out, out, out West at a, at a pretty good PAC 12 school in Arizona state. So, you know, with some of these coaches, it's just, it, it, things can happen really fast. They just, you know, show up, you know, they're, they're on staff at one school and then the next day it's like their Twitter handle changes and their, their bio's updated and they're somewhere else. So that's just move around quite I, a bit. Yeah. I remember uh, taking a look at Marcus Freeman's profile, Twitter profile after I think 24 hours uh, after taking that job and it was brandishing gold and green and blue and it hurts. It's painful. And a sponsorship, I think on his job as well. So we're late enough in the podcast, Brett, where I'm sure people have turned it off. They're not listening anymore. So now would be the time for you to lay down your claim as to once it's all said and done and we see the tweet of Wes Miller announcing his, his on-bench coaching staff, what do you think it looks like? We, we've got Mike Roberts, apparently. Who else, who else is rounding out that staff? If you were making predictions, just predictions. There's, there's a few other coaches. Actually, I kind of have a list. Hold on one second. That's what I'm talking about. Thank you. Yeah, like you. you I know you've got me. the goods. I just I have to ask you more directly. I just have to ask you more directly. Apparently, you know, there's a couple of guys. There's a there's some assistants out there that have some pretty good prep school connections. And you think about recruiting and getting high level players. You know, there's there's some assistants that have. You know, when you think of Kevin Keats, who's a head coach at NC State, he started at Hargrave Military Academy. And then he went to Louisville for a handful of years. And then he got the job. I think he got a job at one of the UNC schools, whether it was Asheville or Wilmington. And then he got the job at NC State. So I think an assistant that is younger, that has some of those prep school coaching ties or has, you know, a really good handle on a specific region would make a lot of sense. It's like the third assistant, like the younger guy. And then for the second spot, I could see someone, you know, get, get as good of an assistant as you can get. Because one thing that I'm sure you saw I believe Justin Williams, our friend Justin Williams of The Athletic, indicated last week that the assistant pool for Wes Miller is like $200,000 higher than under John Brandon. It doesn't sound like a lot of money, but depending who your third assistant is, that means you could spend a bit more than maybe the prior administration did for the first and second assistant. I apologize for my cat making noises in the background. She's very demanding. Um, so someone like that would make a lot of sense. And then again, as you brought up a few minutes ago, if you look at geography, you know, where's the talent coming from? Is there, is there an assistant uh, in, from an Ohio school that has Ohio ties that makes a lot of sense? I could see that happening. Um, so that's kind of where I would look a little bit. And then, you know, just, just trying to find the best assistance you can. You need experienced assistance. You need assistance that can bring in talent and that know regions well. And that, you know, Coach Miller obviously knows. You're not just hiring someone who looks good. You want someone that he knows somewhat. And I mean, these assistants, you know, they travel, they've done scouting, you know, they know each other. There's a lot of ties. So maybe someone outside North Carolina would make sense. You know, maybe you should go looking up uh, any recently retired 900 win coaches who want to kill some time on a bench. No, Roy Williams, not going to happen. Okay. All right. I'll... Yeah. Someone sent me that today. And I'm just like, <laughs> hilarious. No, no, that's not going to happen. 
we can dream, you know, the uh, the idea of a Phil Martelli-esque role under his uh, protege, Wes Miller. It's just, there's not enough of a connection there for that, for something like that to happen, but it would be fun. Well, well Phil Martelli was, was very useful because he, he knew the rule book inside and out. So John Howard coming from the NBA, you needed to kind of have someone that had head coaching experience at the college level to kind of help him ease in. And obviously they're recruiting at a super high level and they had a tremendous season. And I think they have the number one recruiting class for next year, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, no, uh, Juwan Howard is absolutely crushing it up there. Um, I think we've, we've covered some pretty good ground here, Brett. We're recording this pretty late. Um, I just want to ask you to leave us. I kind of, we kind of hit on this earlier, but if you're going to have us over the next two weeks, give me like three to five names to really hone in on from a player standpoint, who should people start watching some film on? Are you talking about the transfer portal? Yeah. Transfer portal. I mean, I think CJ Frederick is someone you got to keep a close eye on. I think they're going to really try to, you know, convince him to come. He's got some really good options, but Cincinnati's got a lot to sell in terms of proximity to where he grew up. Opportunity, um, the role. I think you made a great, you, you sold a great case to CJ Frederick about why you see would be a good fit for him. Yeah. And I mean, he's, he's pretty local. He's got some ties to a former uh, walk-on who was very popular around here. And I, I think one, when people look at the transfer portal, there's almost 1,500 names in it. I, I think players that went away for school, and not that I was that far from Northern Kentucky, Cincinnati area, but the, the pandemic year really separated people from their families and just everything. So the idea of coming back home and playing where your family can see you and having that kind of familiarity level, that's not going to hurt. I'm sure when he was in high school, he saw games in Cincinnati and, and, and other local schools. So I could see that happening. I think I think Trey Mitchell's going to get a pretty close look from UMass. Uh, I'm not sure how much of a shot you have there because he's going to be very in demand. He's a guy that averaged about 17 and 9 at, at UMass. He, and at the Atlantic 10 is only a cut below the American in a lot of ways. So he could come in and, and provide you with a huge impact player at the 4-5 spot. Um, and I mean, there's more players entering the portal kind of every day. So it's hard. I, I know there's a player from Coastal Carolina who is the Sunbelt Conference Player of the Year, Jones. He's kind of a 6-1-6-2 guard. But, you know, when you said earlier, who's the alpha next year's team, he, you know, he's a, you know, a lower level player, but he's getting a, a ton of high major interest because he was the conference player of the year. Someone like Such him, I think, would, would attract a lot of interest. Yes. And he's a two-way player. He plays defense, steals, you know, shares the ball. You're not looking for guys that are, you know, 38% field goal players and just get all their stats based on volume and a lot of shots. So I think those kinds of players will make a lot of sense. And then there's a, there's a, there's a few players uh, from the mid-major level. I don't have all their names, but there's a couple of players that have come in that are in that 6'7 to 6'9 range that are kind of the rebounding types, you know, glue guys, can defend in the paint, will take a charge, know how to play, and maybe aren't elite-level athletes, but you need size, you need rebounding, you need some bulk on this roster, as you kept mentioning earlier. I want to mention one guy that I haven't seen us connected to at all, and I hated playing him. But Colin Smith, wouldn't he make a lot of sense on the Bearcats right now? Is there any, you know, potential interest there? I'm not familiar with this Colin Smith. I think you mean Dr. Colin Smith. I'm pretty sure he's been in college for about seven years now. Him and Nicer Brooks uh, are, are, are exchanging PhD <laughs> dissertations at the moment. Um, yeah, Colin Smith started his career. I think he was at George Washington for a couple of years. That's right. That's sat right. out, played alongside Taco Fall. And he was he's a very interesting player. He's a really good mid-range shooter. He gave Cincinnati a lot of trouble to, 
uh, two years ago off the dribble when he was playing center and Vogt was defending him. But that, I mean, that's a hard matchup for any center to try and, you know, guy take off the dribble like that. He'd be interesting. And this, and the, the conference got rid of the inter conference uh, transfer rule, former Cincinnati center, Jakari Robinson, the football team is transferring to Memphis because they got rid of that rule. I think last week, so Colin Smith, yeah, I mean, you have to kick the tires there. I mean, he's he's a he's a very long, you know, six ten, six eleven player, very experienced, hard nose, physical. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. be a bit of an enforcer down there. I kind of I wouldn't mind it. I wouldn't mind someone of that type, you know, joining the front court to try and clean up the boards and make us a little bit tougher inside than we have been the last couple of years. Yeah, and, and he knows Cincinnati. He's played against them a handful of times. knows knows the league, obviously. I kind of wonder too, though. It's like, how, how would that go over when they went to play UCF? If he went back there on another team in the same league, like you might have seen that uh, Jariah Horn, who was at Tulsa a couple of years ago, transferred to Colorado, and now he's going back to Tulsa for his last year of college basketball. So <laughs> it, everything kind of comes full circle in a way. So yeah, if you added a player like him, I mean, he's 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 been in college for five years, very experienced you know, one-year player, but he fills a need and knows the league has been productive in the American. We know he can play at this level. That's big. Yeah. With how the transfer portal works now, when people leave and decide to leave the program, look, no reason to, to, to say nothing, anything but nice things on the way out. Cause they might come back eventually. Yeah. Players have players have a lot more control now. So you don't want to burn any bridges that way. And I, I think if you're Wes Miller, yeah, you, you gotta, you gotta go through the film with, with a lot of these transfers too. Um, you're evaluating them against other competition. There's one other player I, I meant to mention from the transfer portal, uh, Vince Cole, who was a junior college player, played at St. John's this past year. He's a really, really good outside shooter, really good foul shooter. He's Vince not Cole. Vince Vincent Cole. Yeah, he was. He he played on the same AAU team or same. Uh, I think he's from South Carolina. He played at one of the top JUCOs. I think it was Salt or Salk Community College. Went to St. John's for a year. He's in the portal. Six five, six six wing can really stretch the floor um again if you have some size and you can shoot there's value in players like that so as they have to look at the roster you know you don't want to end up in a situation like where you're you know memphis if you look at the roster right now it's it's all it's all it's all wings and forwards and, and small forwards they have like eight or nine on the roster so you need some front court players but let's say you've got four spots if you could find someone that can really shoot and let's say cj frederick goes elsewhere you might circle back on a player like that well, I think you uh, you gave up some good to you today, Brett. I'm, I'm excited that we are talking and having you on talking about transfer portal, about recruiting, about staff, about things other than, you know, uh, uh, administrative leave or, you know, being fired for cause. It feels good. It feels good to be talking about real basketball stuff again in the offseason. I'm I'm a little discouraged. I mean, we have to really rebuild the roster in some sense because of you know, Tari Eason was such a, a critical loss for us because of what he meant roster wise to the team. He was kind of the one reliable big. And I'm putting that in air quotes because he did have guard esque skills in some ways. But, um, you know, Wes Miller, it seems like he's up for the task. It's exciting times. He's definitely uh, he's definitely generating some enthusiasm around the city. He is. And let me just say, I, I love talking to players. I love doing the recruiting stuff. <laughs> gathering information about the coaching search and everything that was going on was, was a terrible couple of weeks for so many people. And the transfer portal, I just want to say is, is tough because 
these players are getting contacted by coaches left and right. Like when you're talking to high school players or junior college players during their seasons, or you see them at AAU events, it's a totally different animal. The transfer portal, it's like these kids get tired of all the Zooms with coaches and everything else going on. So talking to those kinds of players is much different. I still like talking to them and writing articles and getting information and finding stuff out and getting to know these players. And I want to bring up a story here before we wrap up. Years ago, when I wrote before Bearcat Journal was on the, the 247 network, I wrote for a different site on a different network for, for Cincinnati. And there was a player that Cincinnati recruited and really wanted named Kim English. And he ended up going to Missouri. He was from Baltimore. So he was the nicest recruit that I ever had the pleasure of talking to and writing articles on. So he had a pretty good career at Missouri and later went on to coach at Tulsa as an assistant, then he went to Tennessee for a couple of years and he got hired at George Mason uh, last month or a couple of weeks ago. And he was the only recruit that I've ever spoken to who asked me like what I did. And at the time I wasn't, you know, I was in, I was in law school at the time, but he was, he, he's always very nice, always asked those questions. And I think he's going to be a tremendous head coach and he's got a super, super bright future in the coaching profession in college basketball. And I remember when he committed to Missouri, he called me to tell me he was not picking Cincinnati. How many kids do that? That's a really cool story, especially knowing that this is someone you met whether you're in high school, not an adult, not, you don't, they don't know what they're going to be. They're trying to get a scholarship to college to play basketball. And now here he is as a head coach in, of division one college basketball, which is pretty, pretty remarkable. Um, it makes me feel very, very old. <laughs> it also makes you feel, feel old. Uh, the one, the one story, and I hate to kind of end it on a sad note, but I wanted to at least mention it cause we're recording tonight, but, um, just wanted to at least make mention and send condolences to the family of Terrence Clark. Um, just heard the news that he apparently has passed away due to a car accident in Los Angeles. Uh, just honestly devastating, tragic news and uh, feel just terrible for, for anyone who knew him and his, uh, his family, of course. So awful. I mean, this is a kid who was, who was clearly going to be heading to the NBA draft and likely getting drafted in, a, in a, a few short months. Terrible news. Terrible news. It just makes you just cherish the, the time and the moments that we have now. And just like, you know, when you think about having a bad day and, and how many things can go wrong in your life, you know, his life is over and it's, it's tragic. And he was, you know, he was, uh, he was what, 19, 19, 19 years, years old. And it's uh, a life cut tragically short. And you just, uh, you just hope that his, his friends and family can, can find the strength and, and get through this. Cause it's, it's something that parents and friends, you never want to have to think about that for someone so young. Oh, no, it's, it's, it's horrifying. The whole thing. I, uh, all we can do is kind of, you know, send our, send our positive energy, our thoughts, our, your prayers, to that family and uh, and wish them nothing but the best. It's it's awful news, Brett. I hate to end it on such a, such such a sad note, uh, but I did think it warranted mentioning. Appreciate you joining the podcast. I want to make sure we're plugging what you have been doing and what you're continuing to do over at BearcatJournal.com. Brett is the go-to for uh, Cincinnati Bearcat basketball recruiting. So huge uh, resource and kind of help to us and, and me getting a feel for how this industry works and, and you're fun to talk to on the side, Brett. So I appreciate that. I appreciate you being so available to us and uh, anything else you want to plug before you end the podcast here? 
You know, not really. Uh, you know, I have my own podcast with uh, with my good buddy Jeff Gentle. We don't record quite as often. You know, I'm in a I'm in the Central Time Zone, so it makes it kind of tricky. And there's everything going on the last couple of weeks has been hard. I had um, my youngest got a, a COVID test a couple of days ago, tested negative, but he's been home the last couple of days, and just everything with the coaching transitions made things kind of tough. And just you know, wanted to do a do podcasts that have good news to report. So I'm happy to, to spread the word. And I, I know the program's headed in the right direction. I've had really good interactions uh, with, the, with the new staff that's that's in place. And I'm really excited to be able to come to some games this year. I'm, I'm hoping to go to Kansas City for the tournament they have and, and uh, where it's Illinois and, and Arkansas and Kansas State. You know, it's been too long. I was, I was really excited last year to go to Brooklyn to see them in the preseason NIT against either Texas Tech or, or Arizona or St. John's. So I think like everyone else, I'm just excited to, you know, have the, have the fans back this season and I, I enjoy what I do. And, you know, I'm hoping with the football team, you know, they're going to have, they, they should have a good season. I'm, I'm hoping basketball is going to get back on the upward trajectory and, and uh, you know, get back to having fun and playing in front of the fans and, and doing what we all like to, to do so much and watch the Bearcats play. The podcast is called Stories. No, is it called Stories with Stein or the Bearcat Fan Podcast? It's Stories with Stein, and it's it's, it's the subsets, the, the Bearcat Fan Podcast. I got and you. Yeah, I, I've done some other non-Bearcat-related podcasts, but it's kind of all just the Bearcat Podcast when I do it now. So Okay, so yeah, he, he'll talk about the Bearcats mostly, but he will also talk about Japanese anime, manga, um, Am I right about that? Is that what else we're talking about on there? Oh yeah, I'm, okay. I'm, a, I'm also a huge Pokemon guy because I have to my, my, my oldest son. Just, I, I can't keep track of all the names. It's it, it, it was it's above my head. Transformers. Right. I'm cool. So, well, we appreciate it, Brett. I, I appreciate it in this case. Hummer wasn't able to join us today, but uh, thank you very much, sir. And and we'll be talking to you soon. All right, happy to hop on. Thanks, Zach.